I can remember, as if it were yesterday, the first time that I attended General Conference. I was just a young boy, and my wonderful parents brought me to the tabernacle so that I could have a special spiritual experience early in my life. We sat in the balcony here at the left of the podium where I could look down directly at the general authorities. It was a great thrill for me to see President Heber J. Grant for the first time. And I particularly remember how President Grant joined in the congregational singing with such fervor and how uncomfortable the hard wooden benches seemed to me even at that young age. I remember looking at the upholstered individual seats occupied by the Tabernacle Choir and deciding that someday I would sing in the choir and have a comfortable reserved seat for conference. Well, somehow the lines of communication got mixed up. This was not what I had in mind at all. I've been so humbled by this unexpected calling, and I do not have the vocabulary to express how I felt when President Monson issued my call. Certainly the words of Nephi took on a significance for me never before felt. Quote, I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them." Close quote. I feel that scripture has great significance for everyone in the Church, no matter what the calling might be. Experience has taught me that the Lord does prepare the way if we are diligent and faithful in doing our part. The wisdom of Elder Nelson was also helpful, for he taught that we are not called to positions of leadership for what we are, but for what we may become. I have a lot of becoming to do to be able to serve the Lord as he would have me do. I pledged to the Lord the day that I was sustained that I would serve him with all my heart, might, mind, and strength. And I reaffirm this now to the First Presidency, my brethren, and, and all of you. Whatever is needed in this sacred service, I'll be willing to do. But I need your faith and prayers and hope that I may always be worthy of them. I want to publicly express my love and heartfelt gratitude to my wonderful wife and the mother of our nine children, who has been at my side for almost 45 years. She has been such a source of strength and has always sustained me in my church callings, even though her load was very heavy with her own callings and the responsibility of motherhood and the home. I feel great appreciation for the wholehearted support which I've always had from my parents and extended family, to my own dear children and their wives and husbands, and our 27, as of 825 this morning, beautiful grandchildren, 
I express my love and appreciation for their tremendous support and for their faith and prayers in our behalf and for all the joy and happiness that they have brought into our lives. I am grateful for my assignment in the Brazil Area Presidency with Elder Gibbons and Elder Camargo and the opportunity to serve once again with the warm, wonderful people of Brazil. I've been especially blessed in being involved in various ways in the growth of the Church there over the last 48 years and have seen that growth go from less than 200 members in 1940 to over 250,000 members today. As we attend the various state conferences, it is thrilling to meet the young leaders whom the Lord has raised up, men such as President Santos. He embraced the gospel as a young boy of 17, and when he elected to accept a missionary call, he was disowned by his family and put out on the street with his meager belongings. He served faithfully, however, and later was led to a beautiful young convert girl. They were sealed in the temple and are rearing their family under the covenant. Still under 30 years of age, he is successful in his business and a great leader in the stake. How the Lord blesses the faithful members of the Church. Sister Sorensen and I recently had the opportunity to tour the new Fortaleza mission. It took us back to our own missionary experiences. A mission president receives hundreds of weekly letters from his missionaries during his presidency concerning many different subjects. Most of those I received were very spiritual, expressing the missionary's gratitude for the opportunity to serve the Lord and his testimony of the importance and truthfulness of the work. I've saved most of them. They are precious to me. One touched my heart profoundly. Elder Costa, a native Brazilian missionary, wrote in his last letter to me before we left the mission field, President, perhaps with the passing of time, I will forget your appearance or how you walked or things like that. But your love for the gospel and your testimony I will never forget if I am to be remembered at all by the membership of the Church. I hope it will be in this manner, for I do have a great love for the gospel and for all the members of the Church everywhere. No, I do not feel at ease sitting in these red upholstered chairs. But I have a sincere burning testimony of this work. May the Lord bless me that I may touch the lives of those he loves throughout the Church, and may I be guided and directed by him always. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
My beloved brethren and sisters, I am so full that I'm not sure I can make the words come out. I'm so grateful. I sat by Brother Richards, who's going in for surgery right soon. I sat by him in sacrament meeting in our ward last Sunday. He's a man of great faith and great testimony. I love him with all my heart. And I pray that the surgery will be successful. And Brother Ballard, the last recording account of his grandfather was made in the Washington Chapel where I was state president. He came home, he drove to Boston and then came home driving all the way and went to bed and never did rise again. I thank the Lord for Melvin J. Ballard. I knew him. I loved him. He used to sing a song when he'd come to the Boise Stake. And it was a rich tenor voice that he had. God bless us all this Sabbath day. I'm so grateful to be permitted to say just a few words. My brethren and sisters, this has been another glorious conference for which I thank the Lord and commend my brethren for their inspired counsel and the choirs for their uplifting music. The major mission of the Book of Mormon, as recorded on the title page, is to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself to the nations of the world. The honest seeker after truth can gain the testimony that Jesus is the Christ as he prayerfully ponders the inspired words of the Book of Mormon. Over one half of all the verses in the Book of Mormon refer to our Lord. Some form, some form of Christ's name is mentioned more frequently. Perverse in the Book of Mormon than even in the New Testament. 
He has given over 100 different names in the Book of Mormon. Those names have a particular reference and significance. To the fact that he is divine. Let us consider some of the attitudes of our Lord as found in the Book of Mormon. Yes, show that Jesus is the Christ. Then let us confirm each of those attributed about him with a brief quote from the Book of Mormon. He is alive, the life of the world, a life which is endless. He is constant, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the creator. He created all things, both in heaven and on the earth. He is the exemplar. He set the example. He said unto the children of men, follow thou me. He is generous. He commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. He is godly. He is a God. He is good. All things which are good cometh of God. He is gracious. He is full of grace. He is the healer, the sick and afflicted, with all manner of diseases, devils, and unclean spirits were healed by the power of the Lamb of God. He is holy. Oh, how great the holiness of our God. He is humble. He humbleth himself before the Father. He is joyful. The Father has given him a fullness of joy. He is our judge. He shall be brought to stand before the bar of God and be judged as we stand there. He is just. The judgments of God are always just. He is kind. He has loving kindness toward the children of men. He is the lawgiver. He gave the law. He is the liberator. There is no other head whereby we can be made free. He is the light, the light of the world. Yea, a light which is endless that can never be darkened. He is
He is loving. He loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life. He is the mediator, the great mediator of all men. He is merciful. There is a multitude of tender mercies. He is mighty, mightier than all the earth. He is miraculous, a God of miracles. He is obedient, obedient unto the Father and his commandments. He is omnipotent. He has all power, both in heaven and in the earth. He is omniscient. omniscient. The, the Lord knoweth all things from the beginning. He is our Redeemer. All mankind were in a lost and in a fallen state, even would be save they should rely on their Redeemer. He is the resurrection. He brought to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. He is righteous. His ways are righteousness. He is the ruler. He rules in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. He is our savior. There is none other name given under heaven, save it be Jesus Christ, whereby a man can be saved. He is sinless. He suffereth temptation and yieldeth not to temptation. He is truthful, a God of truth, canst not lie. He is wise. He has all wisdom. How great thou art. As I reflect on these and many other marks of our divinity, as found in the Book of Mormon, my heart cries out with a hymnist, O Lord my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands hath made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Once in a convinced thorough book of Mormon that Jesus is the Christ, 
then he must take the next step. He must come into unto Christ, learning the precepts found in what the prophet Joseph called the most correct of any book, the Book of Mormon, is a first step. Abiding by those precepts found in the keystone of our religion gets a man nearer to God than through any other book. Can we not see why we should be reading this book daily and practicing its precepts at all times? We have an increasing number who have been convinced through the Book of Mormon that Jesus is the Christ, that we need an increased number who will use the Book of Mormon to become committed to Christ. We need to be convinced and committed. Let us turn again to the Book of Mormon, this time to learn some principles about coming unto Christ, being committed to Him, centered in Him, and consumed in Him. We will quote but a few of the numerous passages on the matter. First, we need to know that Christ invites us to come unto him. Behold, he sendeth an invitation to all men, for the arms of mercy are extended unto them. Yea, he saith, Come unto me, all ye that partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Come, for he stands with open arms, to receive you. Come, for he will console you in your afflictions, and he will plead your cause. Come unto him and offer your souls as an offering unto him. As Moroni closed the record of the Jaredite civilization, he wrote, I would commend you to seek this Jesus of whom the prophets and apostles have written. In the Moroni's closing words, toward the end of the Nephite civilization, he wrote, Yea, come unto Christ, and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you. Those who are committed to Christ stand as witnesses of God at all times and all things and in all places, that they may be even unto death. They retain the name of Christ 
written always in their hearts. They take upon themselves the name of Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. When we live a Christ-centered life, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ. We receive the pleasing word of God and feast upon his love. Even when Nephi's soul was grieved because of iniquities, he said, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. We remember Alma's counsel. Let all thy doings be unto the Lord, and whithersoever thou goest, let it be to the Lord. Yea, let all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. Yea, let the affections of thy heart be placed upon the Lord forever. Counsel with the Lord in all thy doings. Remember, remember, said Helaman, that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, that we must build our foundations, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, it shall have no power over you and drag you down to to the misery. Nephi said, The Lord hath filled me with his love, even unto the consuming of my flesh. Those who are consumed in are made alive in Christ. They suffer no manner of afflictions, save it were swallowed up in the joy of Christ. They are clasped in the arms of Jesus. Nephi said, I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul. Lehi said, I am encircled about in eternal love. Now, my beloved brethren and sisters, let us read the Book of Mormon to be convinced that Jesus is the Christ. Let us continue reread the Book of Mormon so that we might more fully come to Christ, be committed to him, centered in him, centered in him, and con- consumed in him. We are meeting the adversary every day. The challenge of this era will greatly rival any of the past. And these changes will increase both in spirituality and in power. We must be close to Christ We must daily take his name upon us, always remembering him and 
keeping his commandments. In the final letter recorded in the Book of Mormon, from Mormon to his son Moroni, he gave counsel that applies to our day. Both father and son were seeing a whole Christian civilization fall because they would not serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ. Mormon wrote, And now, my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently. For if we should cease to labor, we should be brought under condemnation. For we have a labor to perform whilst in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. You and I have a similar labor to perform. Now to conquer the enemy and rest our souls. Then that great soul Mormon closes with this letter to his beloved son Moroni. With these words, my son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee to weigh thee down into death. But may Christ lift thee up, and may his sufferings and death and the showing of his body unto our fathers and his mercy and long-suffering and the hope of his glory and eternal life rest on your life forever. I don't have time for the last page. <laughs> and may the grace of God the Father whose throne is high in the heavens, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who sitteth on the right hand of his power, until all things shall become subject unto him, be and abide with you forever. My prayer for each of us is that we, too, will follow the inspired counsel be faithful in Christ. Then he will lift us up with his grace, will be and abide with us forever. That this may be so, I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I've been listening to the words of the brethren, and this afternoon much has been said about sacrifice. I couldn't help but think of the words of that great hymn, Sacrifice Brings Forth the Blessings of Heaven. I've always felt, however, that really it was impossible for you are made to sacrifice in the building of the kingdom of God. I would much rather consider it 
rather than a sacrifice, a great opportunity to serve in building the kingdom of God. A number of years ago, Sister Richards and I lived in Washington, D.C. for 15 years. As we returned, we moved out into the Mount Olympus area, and within a year or so, they divided the East Mill Creek Stake, as I remember, and put President Gordon B. Hinckley in as the president of the stake. I was called to be the stake mission president, and for three and a half years I had the opportunity of serving under President Hinckley in that area. Then I was called to be a full-time mission president, and I had the great opportunity of serving in that capacity. And then 27 years ago, this conference, President Tanner, Theodore Burton, and I were called to be general authorities. My first assignment was to supervise the nine missions on the East Coast from Canada to Florida for five years. That was a great experience. My next assignment was with President Kimball, who was then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, to supervise South America. And we organized the first stake in South America in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in May of 1966. As Elder Sorensen was speaking about the growth there, the growth has been tremendous. I remember President Kimball said, we're not going to call any North Americans, and there were many of them living in Sao Paulo at that time, in business associations from the United States. We're going to call the local people here. And so that was the policy, and to call young men and women and older men and women as missionaries. And so I suppose at the present time, whereas in 1966 there was no stakes there, in South America there may possibly be nearly 200 stakes. I then had the opportunity of spending three years with Elder Delbert L. Stapley supervising the missions in Central America and Mexico. As I recall then, there was two stakes in Mexico, one in the colonies and one in Mexico City. I assume there may be as many as a hundred stakes there now. The Church has grown and developed with that local leadership in the development of the missionaries. I could go into tremendous experiences that I have had with young men and women and older men and women in the missionary service there. I just seem to feel as though I would like to again say what Elder Ballard has just said, how important it is to make contributions to the General Missionary Fund of the Church. You know, Every member a missionary, something I think President McKay first emphasized. I was up in Montana here some time ago to a state conference, 
After the morning session, I was wandering around outside. I saw this young boy standing there all dressed up in his Sunday clothes. I went over and said to him, Son, you're a fine-looking boy. What's your name? He said, Joseph Smith Curdy. I said, Joseph Smith Curdy? That's a fine name. You're going to be a great missionary. He said, I'm already a great missionary. (laughs) He said, you know, down the street a couple of blocks from where we live, there's a family with a couple of boys about my age, and I've been over a period of two or three or four months bringing them to church with me. And then here a month or so ago, I said to them, how would you like to have the missionaries give you the discussions? And they said, oh, we'd have to talk to our parents. And so we talked to the parents, and the parents said, well, if you'll let us listen in, why, we'll be glad to have the missionaries teach them. Well, there wasn't any problem there, and so <laughs> the missionaries gave the family the discussions, and this Joseph Smith Curdy said, that whole family is going to be baptized next Saturday. I'm already a great missionary. <laughs> I couldn't help but agree with him. Brothers and sisters, it's wonderful to have the opportunities we have in this church, not only in the missionary system, but also in the areas of temple work and genealogical and so on. I'm grateful that my spirit was reserved to come forth at this particular time in the history of the world. When the gospel in its fullness has been restored, I'm convinced that the Spirit of the Lord is being poured out upon the face of the earth more today than ever before in the history of the world. And as a result, we have the restoration of the gospel in its fullness. You and I can bear witness that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, that Joseph Smith was a great prophet of God. We're told that Joseph Smith has done more for the salvation of mankind than any other man that has ever lived on the earth save Jesus Christ himself. I bear that witness to you. The Church has been reestablished. The power to act in the name of God has been restored, and we have a great prophet standing at the head of this Church today. May the Lord bless him. And may the choice blessings of our Father in heaven go with you. As you leave this conference, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a wonderful conference, brothers and sisters, and I pray that my few remarks will not detract in any way from the spirit that we have enjoyed. During the past year, the area presidencies in South America became concerned with the dependency of the Church there upon the financial resources from Church headquarters. Wisely, these brethren could see the future needs would require more funds than the Church headquarters could provide. The area presidencies met with their regional representatives and stake presidents to counsel together on steps that would help the Church in South America become more self-sufficient. They studied ways to decrease costs and, at the same time, increase participation of their people. They agreed that greatly simplified buildings would fully meet the needs of the Church. They found ways for their members to donate more labor. 
decreasing the amount of cash required for construction. In seeking to become more self-sufficient, the people have incorporated the principle of sacrifice into their lives and have increased their faith. The Prophet Joseph Smith said, A religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. For from the first existence of man, the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things. As the saints worked to become completely self-sufficient, something very special happens that goes far beyond decreasing costs. For example, when the Church leaders in South America turned their attention to decreasing the cost of missionary service, the Lord blessed them with a simple but marvelous idea. The members could provide the noon meal each day for the full-time missionaries. This was a task the Saints in South America could do, and one that would strengthen both members and missionaries. It proved to be the means for the members in this part of the world to perfect the Saints and to proclaim the gospel, two parts of the mission of the Church. Reporting on the results of putting this idea into action, one stake president said, I had a meeting with the mission president, and we discussed the idea that our members could provide the noon meal for the missionaries. I asked my bishops for time in their sacrament meetings to explain the basic idea. I explained the blessings that they, their children, their neighborhood, and the stake would receive. In my own ward, we saw an unexpected result of our members' sacrifice. Attendance at sacrament meeting climbed from 80 to 90 people a week to nearly 150 now. The number of baptisms has increased from one or two a month to nearly 12 a month. General activity has increased in our stake, and we feel a sweeter spirit in every ward. My bishop told me of an experience two young children had who are members of the Church but whose parents are not. These children raised their hands in support of the program and then went home to tell their parents that they had incurred the obligation to feed the missionaries. As a result, the parents are now hearing the missionary discussions and attending Church meetings. We expect them to be baptized very soon. One bishop reported to his stake president that he did not have enough active members to provide lunch for missionaries every day. The wise stake president suggested that the bishop invite less active members of the ward to participate. Much to the surprise of the bishop, many of the less active members were pleased to have the missionaries come to their homes for a noon meal. In fact, many of these less active members were anxious to share with the missionaries the story of their conversions. More often than not, they would get out the photographs of the missionaries who baptized them. This simple idea is bringing many unexpected blessings to the Church. As the members share their food with the missionaries, the missionaries bring into homes the special spirit that only they carry, blessing both the members and the missionaries. 
many less active members are returning to full fellowship, and many more members are becoming involved in missionary work because of this simple expression of love and service. How often, brothers and sisters, we can solve seemingly large problems through relatively simple means. Let me share a few experiences that have resulted from members and missionaries working together. An elder wrote, Because we were able to have lunch with an inactive family, they are now back into full activity in the Church. When we ate with them, they recognized the importance of prayer before each meal. A wonderful spirit prevails in their home now. They are not only active again, but we baptized a member of the family and later baptized their neighbors as well, all because they invited us to share their food. Another missionary wrote, The mother of a poor family came to me and my companion and asked us when we were going to eat at her home. Knowing of the family's humble circumstances, I talked to the branch president. He said, Elders, this family has taught us a lot by their example of humility. It is a great privilege to have them in our branch. They are poor, but they really want to participate. We want you to go. If their food isn't enough, come by my house afterwards and eat with us. In Bolivia, a young mother with four small children expressed her testimony, saying, I am so grateful for the privilege of having the missionaries come into our home. It is a pleasure to feed them, even though I fear that sometimes we do not have enough for them. I need to add here that members everywhere in the world have that same fear. <laughs> she continues, However, I am so thankful for this opportunity for you see my four little ones wait anxiously for the day to come when the missionaries eat with us. When it is our turn, two handsome young men, dressed in white shirts, wearing ties, their hair cut neatly, come into our home. They are full of the gospel light. They play with the children. They tell us about their wonderful missionary experiences. They are gentlemen, courteous and kind. After about an hour with us, they leave to do the work of the Lord. What parents would not rejoice to have sons like these two missionaries? An older widow volunteered to provide lunch for them. After a few visits, they stopped on the way to her home and bought a bouquet of flowers to give to her as a token of thanks for the lunches. When they gave the flowers to her, the sister looked shocked and then began to cry. The elders thought they had done something wrong and began to apologize. The widow stopped them and said that no one had ever given her flowers during her entire life, not even her husband when he was alive. She beamed with delight during the lunch and then asked the elders to wait one more minute. She presented the, <coughs> them with the name and address of one of her best friends and asked them to please teach the friend's family. The family accepted the gospel wholeheartedly and proved to be the best family baptism those two missionaries had. 
Perhaps these words of one of our faithful mission presidents sums it all up. The self-sufficiency effort has made a, been a blessing to our mission, not only because we have decreased the average cost by $48 per month for the missionaries, but because of the relationship our elders and sisters have been able to develop with the members and non-members. Many experiences have led to reactivation and to non-member baptisms. The members are fed spiritually and have greater love for the missionaries. Up to this point, not one single problem has developed. The President continues, I have wondered if Alma's experience is any different from what we, are see, what we see happening between the Peruvian saints and the missionaries. From Alma we read, And as Alma entered the city, he was unhungered, and he said to a man, Will you give to a humble servant of God something to eat? And the man said unto him, I am a Nephite, and I know thou art a holy prophet of God. For thou art the man whom an angel said in a vision, Thou shalt receive. Therefore go with me into my house, and I will impart unto thee of my food, and I know that thou wilt be a blessing unto me and my house. And it came to pass that the man received him into his house, and the man was called Amulek. And he brought forth bread and meat and set before Alma. Something special happens to an individual or to a church unit when the people become more independent and self-reliant. They feel more confident, positive, and assured, and they reflect these feelings in their actions. Last March, as you remember, devastating rock and mudslides engulfed six small towns in the mountains east of Lima, Peru. All of these towns were within the Lima, Peru, San Luis stake. The slide left 25,000 people homeless. Eighteen LDS families lost their homes completely, and 198 other families were left in dire need of food, clothing, and medical supplies. The day after the slides, one member of the stake presidency and two other church members waded through waist-high mud and debris for five kilometers to assess the damage. They found that more than 300 members, people, members, and non-members, had taken refuge in the Choshika Chapel. The following day, the stake presidency called a meeting of their 11 bishops and branch presidents. They made many assignments to furnish needed supplies. They asked each ward and branch to furnish work teams to go to the home of members and help them clean up. The stake presidency resolved to handle the problem without seeking help from outside stakes. They soon found that they could not handle it all alone. They went to their regional representative and asked him to coordinate economic help from other stakes in the region. The Saints of Peru rallied together. As an example, the Iquitos stake sent 13 crates of clothing, each weighing 30 kilos, about 66 pounds. Other stakes and wards donated food, bedding, and mattresses. Selling quilts and refreshments, young women raised more than $300. One young priest, a senior at his high school in Lima, led a group of 28 of his classmates, who were non-members, to Chosica to help with the cleanup. The Stake Relief Society presidency visited the area frequently and instructed the sisters 
in classes on hygiene, sanitation, nutrition, and how to organize family living in a tent. The stakes did not intend to seek assistance from the general welfare funds of the Church. Stake leaders called in all the fast-offering reserves from their wards and branches. They asked stake members to participate in a special fast on 29 March 1987 to raise funds that would help cover the expenses. Some bore tender testimonies. Let me share just two. Sister Guadalupe, a non-member, lost everything. Then in the shelter of a little room in our chapel, she gave birth to a baby boy. She stated that the Lord had helped her escape. She learned that everything of the world is temporary and can be lost. She thanked the branch and the Church for opening its doors to her for the assistance she received. Sister Leonora de Contreras, a Relief Society president, said she knew the gospel was true. She expressed thanks for her husband, who holds the priesthood and is a pillar of strength. The catastrophe destroyed the fruits of their lifetime of labor in less than 30 minutes. She recalled the words of their son, who was serving in the Peru-Trujillo mission. As he left home, he said to her, Mommy, whatever happens, if you need help, ask the Lord and stay close to the brethren. She expressed appreciation to stake leaders for their assistance. Brothers and sisters, I realize that similar reports could come from other parts of the world. The principles of sacrifice, self-reliance, and pure love and action apply the same everywhere. I refer to South America only because my present assignment takes me there and gives me firsthand experience in that land. We have a long way to go in South America to become fully self-sufficient, but we are on the way and the Lord is blessing our efforts. I am so grateful to the Lord for the leaders and other members in the Church, both men and women, who are filled with a faith that makes them willing to sacrifice for the building up of the kingdom of God. Such saints truly feel and live the principles that King Benjamin taught to the Nephites. When ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. Brothers and sisters, how can every member enjoy the thrill and the blessing that comes from making a sacrifice to help the work? The answer is very simple, as are most answers in the Church. Every member of the Church can pay a full, honest tithing and can attend tithing settlement. The Lord said, Verily now is the day of sacrifice and a day for the tithing of my people. Let me remind you of President Spencer W. Kimball's statement on fast offerings. Sometimes, he said, we have been a bit penurious and figured that we had an egg for breakfast one egg, and that cost so many cents, and then we give that to the Lord. I think that when we are affluent, as many of us are, that we ought to be very, very generous. I think we should give instead of the amount saved by our two meals of fasting perhaps much, much more, ten times more, when we are in a position to do it." Unquote. Every member can give a generous fast offering. Brothers and sisters, the Church needs your contributions to the General Missionary Fund. This fund makes possible the service of thousands of missionaries. 
Those who can should feel free to contribute generously. The Lord provides an equal opportunity for every member everywhere in the world to receive the blessings that come from paying tithes and offerings. Every member can give his time and talents freely to the building up of the kingdom of God upon the earth. No member of the Church should miss this opportunity to exercise his faith and feel the spirit that comes from a humble sacrifice. Seeing the great good that the Saints in South America do with their meager means helps me realize how much more many of us in other parts of the world could do. We should never forget the Savior's teaching, and to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. He has blessed us abundantly. I think of the teaching words of one of our hymns. Because I have been given much, I too must give. Because of thy great bounty, Lord, each day I live. I shall divide my gifts from thee with every brother that I see who has the need of help from me. I pray that as we leave this conference, each one of us will take from the messages of the brethren those principles that will help us become more self-sufficient as saints. I testify that we have been taught the truth during this conference, that God lives and Jesus Christ is His Son, the gospel has been restored in these latter days, all of which I do in the sacred name, even the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.